Welcome to Game Talk Radio. Your hosts, Greg and Jen, bringing you their take on this week's hottest gaming news. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Game Talk Radio. This is episode 14. 14? I'm Greg. I'm Jen. And so, if you guys who are loyal listeners, I know we don't have like a billion or anything, but you guys, um, you know, we try to be as consistent as we can with these, and we know it's been a really long time since our last one. And we were trying to work out a new format, basically, because we used to record it on Thursday nights, and I didn't work, and Jen did. And then um, and then some days I would have to work if I had to switch something, and it really became a hassle. So now we're going to start doing is we're going to start recording these on Sundays. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Still follow the exact same formula we have been, where we take the week's worth of news and give it to you. So late Sunday night, early Monday mornings, we should have all this stuff available for you. And we're both off on Sundays, so it's easier for us to, like get everything taken care of because this is obviously something we do in our free time for fun uh we don't uh, you know make a living doing this or anything so we uh finally got around to hammering that schedule now that there's no more football to watch i was just gonna say and now Super Bowl's over. done and that was a mess it was it was it was taking up our sundays you know yes. quite frankly so now we're, we're wide open we can we can hang out and do stuff um virtually so, with you yes with, with with all of our friends out there listening so with that being said mm-hmm. let's jump right in yes did you know? I well, did. Because I'm the one who told you about the article. You are a butt. <laughs> well, uh, Netflix is going to have a new title so added to its repertoire. Netflix does a lot of um, exclusive content. They do. So they've done really good stuff with the Marvel. Marvel. Oh, so Jessica Jones. Luke Cage was really good. Yes, and now the new one that... Iron Fist. Punch Fist. Yes, guy. Punchy McFist Punch. Punchy McFist Face. Yeah, punchy McFist punch. <laughs> he's 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 pretty bonkers. Mm, mm-hmm, he's mm-hmm. BA, as it were. Well, anyway, they're adding to their cool original content repertoire and doing a Castlevania Netflix original series. So we talked about how Konami doesn't give a crap about Castlevania anymore. I know they must have listened and said, no, 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 we care. Here, yeah, here is how we care. There's some interesting stuff though because. Apparently there was something that, like, one of the um, sites was mentioning something about how they've been sitting on this idea for a long time and weren't able to do it, and then finally were able to do it. So there must have been something like they they must have commissioned this a long time ago, and it never got passed, never got passed, and then finally, for whatever reason, they listened now to our the podcast and said, <laughs> "No, we care about Castlevania, and we'll show you, Greg and Jen." And there's some good things. We'll show you. And there's some troubling things about this story. So Why? one, the good, let's start with the good. Because okay. you know me, all about positivity. Yes. Right? Even even when the world of video games refuses to give me anything positive, <laughs> I will stay positive <laughs> in the face of all that is negative. Yeah. So, uh, it's going to be animated. Oh. Which is, I think, brilliant. That is good because you can do a lot more with special effects. I was really nervous when I first read about this because I was like, if it's a live action show... I'm out. I, I just, I told me I was out. I, I knew it would be crap. Well, you would need huge budgetary, yes. like, allowances for doing something like that live action. Yes. So, it's animated, which is good. Mm-hmm. The uh, one the showrunner has had a lot of interesting things to say about this, right? So, the showrunner is named Adi Shankar, and he uh, is a self-proclaimed mega fan of the Castlevania series. So, he believes that fans of the franchise will dig it 
because the show is coming from someone who poured hours upon hours into game uh, of gameplay into the games. What? Okay, hold on. I what? It, like he thinks that just because he's played the video game a bunch makes him some sort of expert. Well, and there's some really like sometimes a passion project is a good thing, like the Silent Hill movies. Now, you could argue about the second one's quality, but I think overall they were actually kind of interesting movies, especially the first one. Well, apparently they were written by a big fan of the series. So he was able to take his passion and, like, channel it into a positive experience. But, I mean, I watch a lot of cooking shows, and that doesn't make me a Michelin star chef. No, it makes us pretty darn good cooks. We cook pretty good. We do. We Yes, we do cook pretty well. But, I mean, what was he before? Do you know? Like, I have no idea. I've never heard this guy's name before. And that's probably the problem. Uh, he, like, we don't know where this guy came from. <laughs> yeah, so he, he claims, or in quotes, he says, I think backlash from the community comes from a place of inauthenticity. Fans know when things are being changed as a way to make more money and when parts of a movie or show are being changed to make a better story. So when asked if things are going to change parts of Castlevania to make the series feel more like an original TV show and not a straight adaptation, he admitted he couldn't get into anything specific but pointed to Dread which is a 2014 film that he executive produced ah. as an example of what he was talking about. And if you haven't seen the movie Dread, which is Judge Dredd, it's like the new one that they did a couple I years ago. Love. The new one is awesome. Carl is Urban it? was Dread, and it was awesome. And so, like, I would love to see a Dread Netflix series. I'd love to see another Dread movie uh, because it was just really well done. It stayed very true to source material. It was very dark and gritty. He never takes his helmet off, you know? And, like, it was just, like, there was a lot of, like, really interesting stuff that the character wouldn't do so Carl Urban like it wasn't about you know like when Stallone did it and as much as I actually it's a guilty pleasure mind, I like that movie too that's the only part I know about that movie was when you said yeah. okay let me let me set this up because okay. several Please years do. ago when they when they had it like running repeatedly on cable mm -hmm. or whatever they would play this promo where they would show a clip of a behind the scenes interview with Sylvester Stallone and this is the only part that I remember he's like where he says, I am the law. Which is uh, Rob no, Snyder. Oh. I, oh, I had a whole quote and you don't oh, really cut I'm, me off Okay, here. I'm sorry, go ahead. Let me, let me explain Let's it. Let's back because, it up, go ahead. Because it makes so much more sense because it, it's like, okay, you know how when in your family you have like the, all these inside jokes and like things that only people in your family get? Because they were there. Yeah. You, know, mm -hmm. you know, like, every family has that kind of stuff if you have, yeah. you know, a decent relationship. And with my family, movie quotes were our dialogue. And still are, to a certain extent. But anyway, so, back to that before you interrupted what I was going to say. Sorry for interjecting uh, my fun quips and interesting no, commentary. wait until after I was done, because then it makes no sense. Because... They were doing the interview, and it was just him sitting in, like, one of those, you know, uh, actor's chairs, and the backdrop is behind him of, like, Judge Dredd or whatever, and, he, and it's Sylvester Stallone, so he's like, when, when he says, I am the law, he means it. Like, that's all, that's all, I, know, that's all I know about that movie, oh. was just that quote. So you've never actually seen the movie? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, we should watch some Because I always get it mixed up when... With the movie where he he's in the future and he's been asleep. Demolition Man. And with the shells that they wipe their butts with. Yes. Well, you don't know that they wipe their butts with the three seashells. That's just how they deal with the stuff down there. We don't know how the three seashells work because we're not from the future. That's anyway, the reason I get those two movies confused. Well, they're both Sylvester Stallone and they're both awesome 
I want to say both 90s awesome 90s action yeah. movies. So they're great. Okay. So anyway, um, I, that movie's a guilty pleasure. Man. My point was just that in that movie, because it was a big star like Sylvester Stallone, he had to take his helmet off to show the face oh, of the star. Right? Sure. So it's like, hey, I'm Judge Dredd. I'm this really dark brooding, but every chance I get, I'm going to take my helmet off and show my face. Well, that's not really the character. So in, in, in the Dredd series, they did... Uh, have him like they show in the very beginning like his helmet's getting put on mm-hmm. and then he doesn't they don't show him without it like it wasn't it wasn't like I get where this guy's coming from because he's saying that they did things in that movie that were non-traditional as far as movies would go sure. like you want to show your star's face right typically your stars are like oh I request so much FaceTime so they can get more merchandise rights all that bullcrap but this movie wasn't about that so if that guy executively produced that and he has the same mentality towards Castlevania Mm-hmm. That gives me some upside. I'm actually kind of excited. He he also noted here that he added that if you're a gamer or someone who has played Castlevania before, the Netflix series won't come across as an inauthentic cash grab. Ooh. So he at least seems to be aware mm-hmm. that we're not stupid, which is yes. nice. That is nice that, that, that he does accept the fact that, you know, we're pretty intelligent people. I like being treated like I'm not an idiot. Yes, that is good. Typically, I like to be treated with a little bit, just an ounce of two of respect. Just a little dignity. As a consumer. That's all That's it. For. That's it. Just an ounce or two. A little background on uh, Adi Shankar. I had a little bit of opportunity before I told my terrible story about Judge Dredd. Um... He is an American film producer. He was born in 1985, so he's a youngin. Hmm. He's younger than me, and that makes me a little sad that he's so far in life. A film director, YouTube personality, well, occasional actor. Best known for being the youngest producer to have a number one film at the North American box office with The Grey. Hmm, interesting. He's also known for fan films, which include The Punisher. That's very cool. Actually, I've seen that. It's very neat. And Power Slash Rangers. I think, and this is going to sound totally crazy, I'm pretty sure Mike was literally watching that this morning. Really? (laughs) Because he was watching something, and I kid you not, just go ahead and click on that. But before you do, does it have James Vanderbeek in it? Just look if it has James Vanderbeek uh, in it. Hold on, just wait a second. Because yes! Of, okay, then that's literally what Mike was watching this morning. <laughs> so if you want to talk about a coincidence, because I didn't do these topics until after I saw Mike do that. I sure. had no idea that's what he was watching. I just saw like a Power Rangers thing mm-hmm. with James Vanderbeek, and I was like, what the hell is this? when I think Power Rangers, I don't think James Vanderbeek. I, I don't think anything when I, I think of James Vanderbeek. Well, I think of James Island Bob Strike Back. Yes, he was excellent in that movie. Well, and Dawson's Creek, but I was too young to watch Dawson's Creek, so I wasn't allowed to yeah. watch Dawson's Creek, because those kids had sex good. That, that in that show. show. That, and that show was not good, so it's fine. I don't want to wait. <laughs> okay. That was beautiful. Thank you. That was beautiful. That, that's... So, that's Nice speak for shut up. So there's good things. <laughs> you know me too well. Yup. So there's good things that I hear about that. One bad thing though is they just literally announced this and they say it's coming out this year. So who announces something and then has a few months before it comes out? I, that makes me uh, a little nervous. Every movie preview? But apparently it's going to have like two, apparently it's going to have like two parts and the first part's the end of this year, the next part's the beginning of next year. So some, so, okay, so I'm not, I'm not going to get crazy on it. And normally, movie adaptations and show adaptations of game stuff is all garbage. But lately, here's what I like. So lately, though, there's been some really cool stuff on the internet. So there's a Mortal Kombat um, YouTube series and a Street Fighter YouTube series that are oh, live action. Neato. And they're really well done. So if if they want to stick with something like that, and it's gonna, but it's going to go to Netflix, I'm cool with that. Now, let's rope it back in let's before real, we let our expectations get out of control. Because mm. here's another thing that he said, which makes me just... A little less excited. Enthused. So, <clears throat> and I quote, let's see here. Um, 
Uh, let's see. Uh, he spoke with Polygon, and while I wouldn't give too much information away, he did comment on his vision for the show. According to Shankar, the series is going to set the bar for video game adaptations. Oh. So good. So far, so good. Can I read the next quote? Please do. If you look at Game of Thrones, <laughs> each season was bigger than the last. The last season had the huge Jon Snow battle. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> which was like a scene from Lord of the Rings. I'd like to do something along okay. those lines. Okay. You know what I'd like to do sometime? What? I'd love to have as many subscribers as PewDiePie. But I can't just make that magically happen by saying it, you know? Like, I, I don't understand this guy. So he's so he's got this new Castlevania video game niche series. And he thinks it's going to be bigger than Game of Thrones. I'd like to be as big as Game of Thrones. Oh, not just Game of Thrones. Oh, no. And Lord of the Rings. Remember that little movie that came out a few years ago? Come on, man. Just say what it is. Now, I didn't read this quote exactly, but Dom was telling me that he read a quote that said something like, and I won't say the exact words uh, because it's not appropriate, uh, like it's 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 vile, um, not vile, but um, vulgar. Crude? Excuse me. It's crude and vulgar. Excuse me. And so basically, he was saying something like he thinks it's gonna be the most effinest, greatest effin thing. And he was just like, like he was talking almost like a dude, bro. Oh, and so he was dude. he was like, oh man, like like when he explained it to me, he didn't say this, but when Dom explained it to me, all I could think in my head was, man, it's gonna be so tight. It's gonna be mint. It's gonna be just. Right. I don't know. So I don't know. Sick. It's gonna be sick. So oh, I don't know. Which is the dumbest again adjective ever. Makes me a little nervous. So anyway, I hope it's good. Well, and you know think me. About it. He's younger than I am, so he's early thirties. Mm-hmm. So of course he's gonna be like, "This is the, gonna be the greatest thing since sliced bread." Because, uh, dude, bro, I thought of it. So do you still have up the IMDb for him? Because let's look through some of his stuff. There was some really interesting, like. uh I saw some like Machine Gun Preacher and some other stuff. So he seems to be somebody who does pick up different I mean, projects. He you know was I mean? at Comic Con on a panel in 2013. Oh lordy. Okay, so look at that picture. What the heck is that? I don't know. He's uh, he looks anyway. Okay, so let's wow. let's go here. Okay, so, so he was the producer for James Bond and Service of Nothing. Well, that's so it's a short. short. Okay. But but here's the thing. He's done a lot of neat little projects. So. I could see this having a more smaller project feel to it, which would probably make it better. You know, if, if you've got Paramount pumping billions of dollars into advertising, the movie's going to suffer because they're trying to make it well, and like we said know, before, broadly available to everybody. Because it's going to be animated, like we both agree, the production quality of anime doesn't have to be stellar. In fact, we both appreciate the hand-drawn aspect. I doubt that this is going to be hand-drawn. It mm-hmm. might. But in the event that it isn't, I mean, to, to me that doesn't matter, but the if the animation isn't that great, but the storyline is stellar, I'm going to forgive that. Absolutely. Because to me, I, I actually really enjoy anime and animation in general, and if even if it's not like the best animation I've ever seen in my entire life, the storyline will make up for it. Exactly. And something like this, I don't know much about the Cam- Castlevania storyline other than playing Belmont's Revenge on the Game Boy. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the basis... <laughs> I don't know who Belmont is. The basis, I would say, is... So So the basics is the Belmont clan has been, like, cursed, essentially, mm-hmm. to be the family that must always defeat Dracula. Oh. So in Castlevania 1 and 2, you play Simon Belmont. So he's kind of like the main dude. And then after that, they just... Basically, every game took place as a different Belmont... Until much later on, then they started expanding the universe. But the first, like, four, five, six, seven games were all different Belmonts trying to take them out. And then my favorite game, 
Symphony of the Night, mm-hmm. for PlayStation 1, you actually play as Alucard, who is Dracula's son. And then you uh, you go around and you kick some butt. So, But anyway, everybody, that is the Castlevania Netflix series, which is coming out. So, I mean, here's to hoping, right? Right. I, mean, I, I will watch it. be hopeful. It. I, I've got Netflix. I'll watch it. And then rolling from uh, a, a maybe good, maybe bad story in the Castlevania series, we go to an all-awful story oh, in the God. world of gaming. It's just, this tells such a heartstrings. So earlier this week, <clears throat> a, a little Wellington, a hospital called Wellington Hospital that was located in New Zealand, I believe, met with a dastardly deed, meaning uh, some, I can't even think of a word strong enough, some jerk decided to steal the PlayStation 4 from the children's cancer ward of that hospital. <laughs> I mean, how how terrible. Now, the thing was bolted down to one of those things that holds, like, the TVs, they wheel mm-hmm. it out. Like, some little nine-year-old kid with an inoperable brain tumor plays Minecraft on PlayStation 4 and can't because some jerk decided someone, to steal the PlayStation 4. Because someone stole a PlayStation 4 that a terminally ill child was playing in a hospital. Yup. So, I don't know if that guy's going for, like, the quickest trip to hell ward I know. but like that feels very high in that list for me how do you steal from sick kids i mean now realistically we don't know the motives quite possibly he just stole it because he knew it was worth money he maybe didn't know well no he probably knew it was from a children's hospital he it stole it from a children's the hospital. hospital i don't know I'm, i don't know why i'm trying to give this guy the benefit of the doubt no, this guy this is a guy, piece of garbage this is like a terrible or, or human girl being. guy or girl it we don't know it was a guy we don't want to assume yeah um yeah w- what a horrible story so that's I mean, I don't, I don't. What do you, what do you say, man? It's like a terminally ill kid, man. He just gets his, he gets so much joy and happiness from playing Minecraft, and he's in tears because, uh, because someone stole the PlayStation Four from a children's building hospital. Building his little Minecraft now, plant. On the on the plus side, though, the story got big. It got it went it spread around, huge, which is great because that means a bunch of people came through for him. Please tell me that's true. Yes. Uh, essentially what they've said is that they've had offers from all around the world. Every gamer in the world wants to help and people are donating money, offering to buy awesome. new systems, send them their systems. And it's like how, like a quote is how lame can people get stealing from a kid in a cancer ward? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's very high on my list of as low as you can go. So they have a bunch of offers and they ask that people wanting to help visit their website to make a donation cool and i mean i i think it's really a prime opportunity for sony to get in on this and donate one to many different uh, sure like donate one to every children's hospital in new zealand Zealand or something something. yeah sure sure i mean throw in tvs i mean these kids deserve to have a little outlet you know to take them away from the the struggle that they're with every single day and yep. dealing with the fact that they're in a hospital in an unfamiliar place and sometimes they get way too familiar becomes a second home to them. Well, and that's what we uh, we didn't get to do it last year, but the year before, we were raising money for Child's Play. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Which is a great organization and what Greg is referring to is he did the 24-hour a gaming I did. I did a 12 one. 12 hours. Okay. I know some people did a full 24, like Jill did, I think. Um, 
Or did she do 12? I think, I don't, I think they did 24. And I remember yeah. her saying on the 24th hour, she wished she hadn't done 24. <laughs> I wish this was a, ter- this was a terrible idea. But what, uh, what I, what we're referring to is that every year they do a marathon, a gaming marathon, where you essentially get, uh, pledges from people to say, oh, I will give you X number of dollars for every hour of gameplay, and then however many you make it through. It's a charitable yep. organization called Child's Play. You know what I was thinking about doing this year for it? Hmm. I might actually do it from the store, and oh, if people nice. come in and donate, they can hop on the stream and we'll play some games together. <gasps> that's a good idea. So I'll have something set up that's like two-player, and they could come in, and if they donate money, then they can get on the stream and everything. I think that's they're awesome. really cool. And, th- and that was a lot of fun, but so in a terrible situation, but all all my gamers came through. And 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 that's what I love about child's play charity. I mean, anything to do with kids, especially terminally ill kids or kids in hospitals. I mean, I don't know. That just kind of hits me particularly hard because you take for granted sometimes just the idea that you're able to. Like we get to play games because we choose to, mm-hmm. but these kids they have almost nothing else. Like what right. else can they do when they're bedridden? You Watch know, and they TV. exactly. You know, I mean, there's there's other things, you, but it, which isn't it, yeah. very stimulating. I mean, but something like Minecraft, you're building things, you can interact with other people, right? Because you can do like a co-op. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You could play online if if the if it's hooked up to the internet and everything. Absolutely. Okay. So it's just it's just. I, like, I saw that article, and I immediately sent it to Greg, because I'm like, what person on this earth would think that that was a good idea? But good shout-out to Child's Play. I think that that's something that we should do. Yeah, they're they're, they're absolutely great, and I want to do more streams for stuff like that. I just think it's a good way. I think last year we raised, all, I want to say, almost fifteen or $1,600. So, I mean, it wasn't, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I had a goal of 2000 We didn't hit it, unfortunately, but, like... I think I could do more to reach out, and I, I have a great family and friends that were donating most of that anyway, but they're great, and and uh, so we'll be doing that again this year, so obviously we'll talk about that as it gets closer. I, I want to say it's around October, that and this right. year something was happening. We couldn't do it because we were, we were gone or out of town or something that weekend, because I remember I was going to do it, like I just enjoy doing it and did a couple years ago, so anywho... Um, so that, that's, you know, it's a, it's a bad starting story that actually has a happy ending. So we like that. Yes. Now here's a bad story that, uh, does not have a happy ending. Well, as you know, Greg, we, uh, towards the beginning of the year, I think, talked about what games we were excited for in the upcoming year. And at the very top or near the top of my list was the South Park Fractured But Whole (laughs) game. Which Which game? The Fractured Butthole. Okay. <laughs> uh, one of my most anticipated games this year, unfortunately, it's been delayed. Hit with another delay. So, it, it was originally scheduled for December, and it got pushed to quarter one 2017, and, and it was on a date, I think, like March 22nd or yeah, something it was, it was supposed, supposed to, to come out. Yeah, it was somewhere in March. And then now, it's only been delayed... Now, if you remember, the original South Park was actually delayed from 2012 to 2014. So the original one got delayed a couple not years. Know that. The uh, the company that makes it. Um, they're uh, very known for um, delaying stuff. It just happens all the time um, with the games they make. Plus, they've been kickstarting a lot of new projects. Uh, it's Obsidian is the name of the company, and so I just wonder if they just got a little behind. But it doesn't surprise I me know. because they also work very closely with. Matt Stone and Trey Parker, so they might have to work around their schedules a little bit too. Well, maybe, maybe they needed to have some dialogue meetings and they couldn't get them in for weeks. You never know what the all, reason could like, be. Almost all of the dialogue are those two. P- plus, there was a, a thing where if you pre-order 
uh, the new South Park, you get the old South Park for PS4 or Xbox One as a digital download. So that's not originally offered on those systems, so it's possible there was a delay in that, too. Like, there's a million things that could have gone wrong, but it's just unfortunately w- one of my most anticipated games of the year is the new South Park, and unfortunately got delayed. Um, they're saying that it's anywhere from April 17 to March 2018. It's it's basically yeah it's it's weird because they're just saying it's in Ubisoft's next fiscal year. Now I'd be very surprised if it doesn't make the holiday season. If it doesn't make like September or October release, I'd be very surprised. But Mm. you know I think they're just giving themselves enough time to figure it out. You know, and I'm not a fan. Obviously, I don't like it when good games get delayed. But it's obviously getting delayed for a reason. Right, and, and it's better to get it delayed than get it buggy and not working properly. So, and that's what I was going to say too. I would much rather have a well play tested game out on the market than something I'm going to have to download eight thousand different you know day mm-hmm. one patches because you know working where I work when I when I used to do software quality assurance, it's one of those decisions. One of those decisions you have to make. Of do we want to release something that we know we're going to have problems with, or do we want to hold off and make sure it's right the first time? And I do give a lot of credit for companies that are willing to do that, because it does, obviously they're going to lose out on some revenue, or they're not going to get that revenue that they were expecting when it was its original release date. So I do have to give them a little bit of credit for that. It makes my 2017 a little less fun because I just did finish sure. playing through the stick of truth about a month or so ago I had started it and then picked it back up loved it as I've as I've said and you have said too it, it plays a lot like a South Park game and they have so many references so if you watched South Park it was very very well done so I'm hoping this next game is just as good yeah, hopefully. We'll see. I think it will be. I mean, I was actually okay with the push a little bit because there's a lot of stuff that came out recently. Like, I just finished Resident Evil 7, Namanda Niho uh, for the PS4, and um, Four Honors coming out. Uh, the Berserk Band of the Hawk game is coming out. So there's a lot of stuff that's coming out. <laughs> there's a lot of good stuff that's coming out. Uh, there was, you know, there was coming out Mass Effect's but coming out. So. Play. <laughs> well, you got to finish Uncharted Four, and I then know. you got to move to Last of Us. That's true. I do have to play through Last. You're of running us. the whole Naughty Dog gauntlet. I am loving it, and when I stopped by the store on Friday, I talked to Dom, and I said, "Don't tell anybody, but I have an idea for a different Uncharted game," and he said he thought it was pretty good. Oh, that, Over, oh, oh yeah, or yeah. him and Dave thought it was a really good idea. That's one you mentioned to me before, right? Yes. So, yeah, I, and I'm I agree. not mentioning it here because... You don't want anyone stealing your ideas. Considering how many things have come to light since we started this podcast, mm-hmm. people are listening. All, all the shady characters that are just listening to this, waiting to hear all of our money-making I'm ideas. You, they listened to us when we talked about so many things. You know, if we just if you just listen to some of our older episodes, we were right. It's almost like things. we're fortune tellers, quite honestly. I mean, we're, we're, we're spitting some knowledge and then all of a sudden things happen. Truth. Yeah. We're, we're movers and shakers, as they say. Yes. So, anyway. <laughs> anywho, so South Park, great game, got delayed. Okay, moving on. So, indie developers aren't happy with the Steam Greenlight replacement. Now, so, Valve. You had to explain this to me because I wasn't, like, I knew that Greenlight existed. Mm-hmm. 
And I thought it made a lot of sense. You know, you have almost a gauntlet style sort of thing where people vote yes. to get it to the market. It, it was um, it was a, uh, it was called Steam Greenlight, and it was a system that allowed the customers to vote on small scale and fledgling projects in favor of a more streamlined system, which is what they want to replace it with. So the idea is that in Greenlight, you could submit your game, and then the community, if they thought it was good or thought it looked good, they could vote to get your game onto Steam. Yeah. Now, there was, of course, issues with that, too, because you'd have some people were doing, like, Facebook and Kickstarter campaigns and being like, hey, if you give us an upvote, we'll give you a free copy of the game when it comes out. Like, there was some shady stuff there going on, too. Okay. Like like some of those people we've talked about in other podcasts mm-hmm. were, like, like, the ones who were suing their customers for bad reviews. Those, those are the type of companies that were doing stuff like that. But to their credit, they did get poop in the mail. They did. They did. Oh, and I think story. that that's just bad form. So this Shame. this spring, they're going to ditch the green light system altogether for a system called Steam Direct. So Steam Direct... I don't like the name. Yeah, you know, so um, a little bit of backstory on green light. So Valve originally positioned green light as a way for the company to step back from evaluating and curating every last project that was submitted, and they kind of put it in the hands of the customer. Right, because otherwise, when you think about how many people put a game on in green light or on Steam, it's incredible how many well, just every day. Exactly. And you couldn't just leave the doors wide open. Like right. the app store is pretty open. So there's millions of just junk on the app store. Oh, sure. On the, on the like the iPhone app store. Or, right, or Google Play. And, you know, when you, you have to really, in this instance, when you talk about app apps and in, in, in an app store, that's mm-hmm. difficult to say, you got to look at the star reviews and see what people are saying. And, you know, if the first five reviews are this is a piece of junk or this is really terrible and, and it doesn't work. The other issue with that, too, is if there's too much stuff in there, you're so saturated, you can't find some of the good stuff sometimes. Right. And it's harder when there's a lot of stuff in the middle. It's hard to break through that and get noticed. You know, so basically um, Steam Direct is going to dispense with any kind of popularity contest. Developers will now simply fill out a form. Submit the game to a basic compatibility test, pay a fee, and launch the game. And that's Wait, it. Pay a fee. Pay a fee. So here's here's where the developers are starting to get a little miffed. So the fee is uh, still a point of contention. Under Greenlight, developers paid a one-time $100 fee, which they could then submit as any apps as they wanted to. Right, because to get they paid their entrance fee. One-time $100. The new fee will be per project. So now every game you want to submit will have a fee. I'm actually still kind of on board. Valve is a heck of a platform. But how much are they thinking about? Well, the tough part is they haven't decided yet. Mm. Valve says that the new fee will likely be higher than $100 and is considering anything up to $5,000. Okay. You're an indie game developer. Who has not yet made any money because your game's not on Steam yet. And you wanted to have the game for free or possibly have microtransactions. Now I have to pay upwards of $5,000 in order to get my game on Steam. I'm going somewhere else. So I'm reminded of if you guys have ever watched it or if you don't, if you haven't, please do watch it. It's, it's super fascinating. On Netflix, there's a documentary called Indie Game the Movie. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's the uh, two of the people they follow are the guys that made Super Meat Boy. Yes. And those guys were both living with their parents or living with their uh, like significant other, not working at a job and barely making any sort of living while they worked on these games. Right. So could you imagine a world where all of a sudden, besides all that stuff, that's already making games is already incredibly 
difficult. Mm-hmm. You take that out of the way and you take these really talented people that used to be able to get by if they were talented and now you just stick another barrier in front of them, but this time one that could be more crippling than any other when it comes to financial barriers. Well, right. I mean, it's just, they could stop someone dead in their tracks. If they say $5,000 to someone who's living at home with his parents, I mean, I mean, what are you going to do? Take out a loan to see if your game might sell? And that's right? just, that's disappointing to me from a user standpoint because there could be potentially, and I think you're leading in that direction, there's game developers that have such a great idea and have written a game that's going to be something like the next Meat Boy or yeah. Super Meat Wad or whatever it was called. <laughs> a super Meat Wad. <laughs> but nice. cannot get the funding because how do you get funding for something right. like that? Well, and you'll, I guess maybe there'll be a new business model that springs up of you know venture capitalist VCs and they'll be popping up saying, well, hey, we'll we'll front the five thousand, but we get ten percent of your company or something Ooh, like very that. Very Shark yeah. Tank. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that, that now. Take that idea on there. There you go. Um, now, to be fair, Valve does claim that it wants to find a balance between allowing struggling but talented creators to launch great new games while discouraging multiple launches of questionable quality and seriousness. Mm-hmm. However, if all you have to do is fill out a, a form and then pay a fee, isn't that going to make more multiple launches of questionable quality games? Because now, say you have like... Okay, take this instance. So say you've got a company kind of like... Um, Digital Homicide. We talked about them a couple times, yes. right? So now that's kind of a bad example because that's like one guy and his brother trying to make games out of their basement. Okay, I'm not even going to give him crap because I, I appreciate what he's trying to do. Um, but imagine you've got a company that has like 10 people working for it and they can churn out a new game with just a different face on it. Sure. Every month, probably, realistically. Yeah. It's the same exact game. They just change the skins. So you put that on Steam. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so they have to pay, let's just say it's going to be a thousand bucks. So they pay a thousand bucks. That game sells makes $5,000, they're churning out maybe every month they're making, you know, you know what I mean? Like they're making more and more games. And so they're, they're basically their business model is to make a crappy game that just needs to sell just enough. Right. So I don't see how this is going to prevent crappy games from getting on Steam. I mean, I guess right now, because right now with the Steam Greenlight, if a game's crappy, it won't get greenlit. So it won't get past, it won't get past us, well, the consumer. Here's this guy, Dave Lang. Whoa, um, Iron whoa. Galaxy. I don't know who this is. I'm just saying it with disdain because sure. of what Iron he Galaxy is a, de- a developing company, yeah. Well, this is what he tweeted. Of all the barriers to entry on all the meaningful gaming platforms, Greenlight was by far the stupidest. <laughs> Unpopular opinion. If you don't have money, be it 200 or 5000 or whatever dollars, the odds of your game being a financial success is almost zero. Wow, okay. Now that's just rude. I mean, but again, I go back to that story about the Sewer Meat Boy guys. They didn't have a, I mean, excuse my language, a pot to piss in. Ah. And uh, and so the odds of their game being financial success, I mean, he's basically saying that if you don't have some, I mean, I, I kind of get what he's saying. He's not saying that if you don't have money that your game's not good. He's saying that if you don't have any money, you can't launch it, you can't put advertising in, you can't boost it. But I, I, he's really misguided there, and he's coming from somebody like, really quickly do look up Iron Galaxy on sure. Wikipedia. Let's 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 see these these guys. Let's see what but you it, know who what company owns very, them. So you don't have to worry about it. It's a very sort of right leaning sort of statement where it's like, well, if you don't have the money to do it, if you know your dad didn't give you you know a thousand dollars to start your company, I, what are you complaining about? I knew I knew these guys, so. Um, my friend, Dude. my friend Adam Hart works there. Oh, oops. <laughs> so he, he they, I believe that they're working on uh, 
Killer Instinct right now for the Xbox One. Is that what the... Uh, Killer Instinct Season 3. Okay, so yeah. So he, he actually... Um, Seven Days to Die. Yeah, I don't know what they're working on. They must have done the port for PlayStation 4 oh, version right. of that. Okay, interesting. In any case, um, that's a pretty tough statement from some... But it's obviously someone who's done it and he's been in the business. So you have... I mean, you got to kind of take what they say a little bit. Um, I do agree with him that the green light thing could also be a negative where if your game wasn't known, you couldn't get popular because you you couldn't get... It's a popularity contest. That is true. Well, yeah. But I also don't see how this new system's really any better. It's just more corporate. It's more business-oriented because Valve wants a piece of every game that goes on there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, there's, and maybe they'll do a percentage-based thing where if your last game sold a million dollars, then your next game going forward is going to be 5000 instead of whatever. I don't know. I have trouble with this sort of thing because they had this sort of green light thing. I don't know what to call it. It's not really an organization. It's Mm -hmm. more of a, you know, it's a gauntlet. I mean, I can't think of any other term to use to describe it because you've got, yes, the whole idea of, you know, people trying to buy their own votes and everything, but where you're really going to kill it is that sort of mentality that anybody can do this. You know, anybody can, if they have an idea, they can make it and make this game and maybe make a little money or just get their name out there. And I think it's really going to lessen the amount of people who are creating games because they just, they're like, well, I have $5,000 to put towards this. So I guess I'll just give it to my friends or whatever. Yeah, and I I definitely can appreciate that. And, And... To be fair, you know, Valve is a company that wants to, you know, it's it's there to make money. And they are providing a service for these developers. And Steam is the largest PC platform for digital distribution out there. So they, they, they you know, the king of the castle makes the rules, you know. But um, I, I have a feeling this direct thing. Now, again, we have to wait and see what they charge. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is based off of units sold or estimated units sold. And I did read an article. I can't find it here all of a sudden. But there was something I was reading that said... That basically, they might allow you to, um, like, essentially take out a loan on that five thousand. So, say for instance, like Valve won't charge you the five thousand upfront, because mm-hmm. Valve already takes a piece of your sales. Like when you sure. sell a game, they take a chunk. You know, mm-hmm. they would take another chunk until that five thousand was paid off. Oh, sure. So it's almost like like a no interest free kind of loan for a small dev. So if they do projects like that and systems like that, I'm all on board, well, because they're trying. You know. If they, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it right now. If they do something completely ridiculous, like five thousand dollars for each game that you want to launch on their platform, there is going to be a new platform that's gonna pop up. That's gonna make it free. And part of what made Steam popular is that they have an amazing variety of games. Once you start shutting out some of the smaller mm-hmm. devs and stuff, like you said, what if they find a new platform? Yeah. And actually, there are some popping up, like GOG.com is... Um, Good old games. It, yep. Uh, that's a great one. And there, they do non-DRM, you know, uh, versions of all their games. You can download it and put it on 100 computers if you yep. wanted to. Like, they're not abrasive at all. And mm-hmm. so, it'd be interesting to see if they're able to pick up, no pun intended, Steam. Hey. Uh, you know, if they're able to pick up some momentum based on Valve's kind of failing you know, policies. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I yeah. don't. I just don't think it's gonna help those struggling developers from from creating really good games. I, I think it's gonna really hinder that, and it's not risky to Valve at all. Because what do they care? They make 
they make money on every single sale with doing very little work except hosting that game you know what i mean yeah exactly so they don't they don't care because people will still pay it because they know that they're the big dog uh you know on the block Yep. Well, and that's, that's really sad. And and that's but that's how it works. I mean, if you're the you're the king, you make the rules until someone dethrones you. And mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I still think Steam's great, and I think Valve is still good for having a platform for all that. But you know, I think this decision's a little strange. But until we get all the details, we'll probably have to wait. But we'll see. There's a lot of devs that are really unhappy about it, and and you'd hate to see that happen. But what is really nice is um, with the PlayStation Four and PlayStation Vita, it seems to be pretty easy to port computer-made games to those consoles. Oh, nice. So maybe they'll find like a, a new wind on the PlayStation 4. Sony's trying to get as many indie devs signed up mm-hmm. and exclusively on their system as possible. So, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's, you know, that's Steam, that's Steam Greenlight's going bye-bye and we'll see what happens in the future. Hopefully we'll get some more details soon. All right. Well, I loved the next, uh, well, the article title that you sent me. <laughs> Because so it's this, very, it's very, very true. Th- this is our main story of the night. It's the main story. It, it, Something very close to home for me. Uh, came from Polygon. Uh, it's by somebody called uh, Ben Kuchera. So I'm really sorry, Ben, if I mispronounce your last name. But the name of this article is GameStop employees are not your friends. <laughs> so, so like a week or two ago, I think it was about a week ago, uh, Kotaku ran a really interesting piece about a new GameStop policy. Now, you can't see it, but I'm saying new in quotes because this program is not new at all. It was around when I was working at GameStop back in like 02 or 03 and through the years uh, just kept changing names and stuff. But they wrote a really interesting article and it was essentially like an expose and they had checked a couple of stores and some stores were actually telling customers that they were out of new copies of the game when they had used copies to sell so they could sell the used copies instead. Right. Now, you had kind of questioning, so well, why would they do that? Yeah, that doesn't well, make any sense. Because I didn't understand that. I would think, okay, you New want game is 60. New game. Used game, to be fair, at GameStop, let's be generous and say a new a used game is fifty four ninety nine because that's what they do. $55 for used, 60 for a new. And so I five was bucks thinking, cheaper. well, why would, why would they need to, to sell you the used game because wouldn't they make more money? Right. Why lose the $5? Right. So here, here's how GameStop works. It, for those of you who don't know, I worked at GameStop for 11 years. Uh, and I wasn't uh, just some crony. I was a store manager, and I was a top performing store manager. So this is probably gonna sound, this is gonna sound a lot like bragging, and I I promise you it's not. But my stores uh, consistently over the years ranked in the top one percent of the company. Damn. So the top fifty uh, to top one hundred of the companies where my store ranked almost every year I was there. Um, the store in question is the one that's on West Mason Street. Uh, by Sam's Club over there oh, in, yeah. in West Green Bay. That was my store. That was my baby for many years. And we took that store to like crazy levels. I bought a GameCube memory card from there. Oh. <laughs> so you so you, were, you were mostly the reason I was top all the yeah. time. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I mean, you probably kept coming to check me out, even though we didn't know each other at the time. Well, you probably found me like irresistible. Well, actually what happened was that was the one I knew my friend John worked at. Ah, uh, you know who hired your friend John? This guy. He's <laughs> got two so, thumbs and hired that guy. You're this welcome. Guy. And and John Brundog, if you're listening, I'm sorry because that ended up not ending well for you. But I understand where you're coming from, and it was still fun working with you. Uh, I abandoned them all there, and they all felt like yeah. like the whole place fell apart when I left. Sweet. So, uh, so I worked there for 11 years in a management position. Uh, I was going to be district manager. I was an area manager for a long time. Like I wasn't just like some part-time employee who was like, yeah, I wasn't some stinking pleb. Okay. I was, uh, I was as high as you could get at the store level, not counting like a district manager, which is the role I was training for. So I was essentially at that level 
whatever. Not bragging, just so you get a little bit of background. How about that? <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, I managed no. to work it in. <laughs> no. You're on timeout. Okay, timeout's over. Yes. So, uh, so anyway, um, this Kotaku article came out. Let, let me get back to your point. Sorry, I want to get back to that. So you had asked why wouldn't you? Why would you sell a game that's five dollars cheaper? So. The way this works, GameStop on new games makes very little profit margin. Okay. So when they buy a new game from, say, let's say they buy a new copy of Resident Evil from Capcom. Mm-hmm. So they pay the publisher, Capcom, about 47 to $52 per game that they sell oh. at 60 bucks. So they only make like 15 bucks or they, something? They barely make any money on new games. Okay. Um, so on a used game, and again... This is going to sound like I'm dogging on GameStop. I'm not, but their trade prices, for the most part, suck lately. Um, and back in the past, they did too. So let's let's be realistic and say that they'll pay $21 mm-hmm. for a game they're going to sell for $54.99. Oh. So they make $34 on a used game or $12 on a brand new game that's more expensive. Crazy, right? So not a big deal. I mean, honestly, I don't blame GameStop for that because the margin on new games is crap. If, yeah. if they didn't sell used games, GameStop would not exist because there's no money in new games. Okay. Which is a funny catch-22 because if GameStop wasn't around, the big companies wouldn't sell as many copies of their games. Right. So it's this really weird kind of... And, and I have to give a shout-out to him because the the dude, he's funny, but he, he hit this one right in the head. But Jim Sterling did one um, on his latest Jimquisition was about um, this GameStop story and how it's a really weird parasitic relationship. So GameStop, to stay open has to sell used games. Yes. Selling used games pisses off the, the publishers right. and developers. Sure. But the publishers and developers need GameStop to sell their new games. Yes. So there's this really weird, like, what do I want to say, like, um, what do they call it when they have two 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 countries with nukes, mutually assured oh. destruction? <laughs> they they know, like, they both have the finger on the nuke, but they know if the first person who presses it, the other person is going to press it, and they both get wiped out, right? Right, yeah. So there's this really weird kind of... It's almost like, like a symbiotic Symbiotic type. relationship, yeah. But parasitic is is only a one-way street, but symbiotic would be the two-way. Like symbi- parasitically symbiotic, because they're both leeching off of each other. Wouldn't that That's be symbiotic, weird. though? But are they both, like, typically in a symbiotic relationship, like, it's it's collective together. Anyway, I'm not going to open the science book, nerds. But I'm, hey. I'm going to look it up, and I typed symbiotic, which is not right. Nice. Hey, Google found it anyway. Involving interaction between two different organisms living in close physical okay. association. Okay, so it doesn't mean necessarily that it's mutual. It just means that they live in a close physical... Okay, There Whatever. was a, There was a character... Oh, shoot. I'm going to get schooled. There was a character on a Star Trek series that had a symbiotic... It was Deep Space Nine. Okay. And she was the one that had all the... like. She, did you ever watch Deep Space no. Nine? Okay, Sorry, never mind. Not. It's not important... <laughs> If you haven't watched the show, but basically she had a a symbiotic relationship with this this creature, mm-hmm. or she was no, it was a symbiotic relationship. She took over the body, so she was uh, like her body, like her the the thing that lived inside her would just move to a new host. Okay, and so there was a like she had a um, she she was friends with one of the other characters in her previous life and so he called her by that other name and it was all really weird because i think in her other life she was in a in a man's body Mm, okay that's gonna drive me crazy i can't remember what it is anyway sorry (laughs) symbiotic relationship with games yeah so 
basically then, so getting back to the circle life. So the idea is, and this is a marketing term, but bear with me, everybody. I won't bore you with the details. I'd never too heard circle of life. So here's the circle of life. So there, there's GameStop has an idea of their business model that if you do certain things, it keeps the business going. So for instance, they sell subscriptions to Game Informer magazine which they track. Um, one thing a lot of people don't realize is that GameStop tracks everything. So you compete against every other store in the company and you keep, every, like every day and every week, you're ranked against everybody else. So when oh. I said I was top 1% of the company, that was based on rankings that came out like company-wide. Like you get an email and you'd have a conference call every single Monday to go over your rankings from the previous week. It was crazy. Now, me personally, I'm a very competitive person. I actually kind of dug it. It pushed me to be better because I wanted to be the best. See, I would hate that because that's super high stress. Super high stress. And the problem is they don't compensate on the flip side. There's no spiffs. There's no, like, there's no commission-based sales, anything like that. Like, it's just not getting fired is your spiff. Spiff is what you call, like, an attack on bonus. Like, say you sold something, you get a buck for everyone you sell. That's a spiff. Someone will call that a spiff. It's, it's just a whatever. It doesn't Never matter. Heard that. Yeah, it's like a marketing term. It doesn't matter. So, anyway... Um, so they, they, they sell subscriptions to Game Informer. They pre-order new games. Yes. They sell used games, right? Uh-huh. And then they take trade-ins. Yeah. That's the four... Well, they got... When I was a manager, they also called them the four pillars. Oh, Basically, geez. the same the same garbage mentality was just reworded a thousand times uh-huh. over because some new young guy thought he was smart in Chicago and was like, hey, uh, I got a new system called the four pillars. It's the exact same system. <laughs> so anyway, the cycle life is basically that you want to pre-order new games. If you pre-order new games, people will trade in games to you to get those new games. They want to sell their old games to get new games. What's the difference between selling your game and trading in a game? Well, it's basically the same thing. Oh. Trading, I mean, you could argue that trading in means you're taking credit towards something else. And selling means you're taking cash. It's In this instance, it just means the same okay. thing. Okay, all right. So you trade in your games. Then people will want to buy your used games because you have a lot of used games because you've been buying a lot from the customers. Okay. Then you can sell them the subscription to Game Informer because you get a discount card with that for 10% off used games. So the more used you sell, the more chances you have to sell your discount card with ah, your magazines. true. And then Game Informer magazine comes with details on all the new games coming up. So ah, then yes. that will bring people more to pre-order as they learn more about new games. That's the cycle of life, which again then is meant to be ongoing like once you get someone into the cycle you essentially get them as a customer for life because they're and i don't want to say in a bad way it's not like they're trapped it's just you've you've basically got a customer who's taking advantage of all your processes and they they're loyal to you because of the things you do right because i get because i've gotten game informer magazine i know what the new games are that are on the market and all the reviews for those games so i go into the store with the intent of buying that new game and at the same time i sell a used game and buy the new game and maybe pre-order another new game that's coming out okay so now getting to the story so uh, kotaku whoever went in i don't know if he he had multiple instances from multiple people sending him stories they could have just talked to you they could have talked to me but now this is something so basically what was happening was the employees because now they're focusing so heavily on used that if you think about this right so they have to get a certain percentage of used as part of their total sales for the day. Right. It says in this article that if a store's quota for used game sales is 30% and the store sells $1,000 worth of merchandise, GameStop expects at least 300 of that merchandise to be pre-owned. Right. So then imagine if someone brings up a $60 new game mm-hmm. and you flip that and turn into a used one, you just turn that entire sale into a used merchandise sale, which is going to make you look better on the numbers. Right. So somebody comes up with a, a new copy of Resident Evil... Seven. 
Yep. Right. For sixty bucks. Yep. And they're like, hey, you know, actually, we we just got a used copy of this yep. for five bucks cheaper. Yep. Do you want to buy the used one instead? And they'll say, sure, I'll save five bucks. Yeah, I'll save five bucks. You know, because people want to save five bucks, and so they do. And then you go from having, because it is it, basically a double flip, because you went from having sixty new and zero used to 55 used and zero new. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, it's it's basically 100%. If that was your first sale of the day, that's 100% used or 0% used, depending on how the, the right, sale goes. Right. And that's... So now the problem, though, because that's not a big deal. That's If you ask somebody, hey, do you want to save five bucks? We have a used copy. That's how we used to do it. Like, that's yeah. how we were trained to that do it. That seems like a better experience. You, you recommended it to the customer. Yeah. Now, I even felt a little guilty back then because I did feel like, hey we're taking money out of the publisher's developer's hands because someone's coming up with a new game and you look at it and go, hey, you want to save five bucks? I got a used one. And they're saying, sure. So you just literally mm-hmm. took that money right out of the, the publisher's sale and you gave it back. But you've already, GameStop has already purchased those games. Yes, but a lot of those contracts have sales clauses that if they don't sell within a certain amount of time, they can return them. Oh. There's recalls and stuff that GameStop would do often. So it depends on the publisher. Big publishers like EA and Activision, they can't pull that stuff with. Sure. But they can do it with smaller ones and okay. basically say like, hey, you know, we'll buy, a, you know, as a company, we'll buy 30000 but if we don't sell at least 15000 we get a full refund on the other 15000 oh. So they will work out contracts like okay. that. Okay. So then basically... Um, what was happening then, the whole part of this article was people were going into GameStop and pe- and then so GameStop and associates were saying, oh, I don't have Resident Evil 7 new. I only have it used. And so someone would go, oh, okay, I'll buy a used one then. But why wouldn't somebody just see it on the shelf? Well, some, someone might grab it off the shelf and bring it up and say, oh, I just sold my last copy. This is just a display box. But I do have a used one. Now, I will be the, now, I will be the first to say, <laughs> yes, but I will be the first to say, it was not a company directive. Mm-hmm. The only thing that you could argue is that because the company's putting so much pressure on them, that that pressure caused them when they couldn't meet their goals, they got desperate. Mm -hmm. And this would happen. um, I I would probably not be able to count on both hands how many managers in my time there got fired for faking reserves (gasps) and faking game subscriptions. Like, Like a game subscription used to be 15 bucks to Game Informer. And there was one guy who whenever he sold a system, he would tack the Game Informer on automatically and then take 15 bucks off the system. So the price was right, and it looked like we just discounted the system, oh. but it was shady, and he, and he was doing stuff like that, right? So, again, it's that person's fault. They made the decision to do that. Yeah. So that's that's not the company's fault. I mean, like like I always say, like, we got a million things we could slam GameStop on. Like, we, we will give them credit where credit is due, and one of the ways that they were due is that this was not what they designed this program to be. However, I will argue that their high-stress environment causes um, certain employees, when they're not able to hit those goals... To get desperate and they worry about losing their jobs so they do desperate things when they think they might lose their job and which, they try to cheat the system which is crazy because they don't work on commission correct and that's what's really nuts about that place is they make you feel like it's your store like i remember they used to have a term called back pocket manager like okay. make make decisions as if this was your company and the money was coming out of your back pocket like would you buy that really expensive this as an example would you buy that really expensive toilet paper to expense out or would you get cheaper stuff cuz it's it's your company right to think about that if it was your store wouldn't you want to save money mm-hmm. and and as a manager who was really loyal like I was I was like yeah let's be smart let's save money let's get those P&Ls up like you know I was a I was a loyal GameStop employee for many years and I tried to advance with that company um, until my manager at the time who um, I didn't get along very well with, as in a working capacity, and then uh, my regional director, I mean, uh, was not very good that way, and I couldn't, I couldn't deal with him. And he basically kept telling me that like I wasn't ready. He's like, "Oh, you're not. I don't think you can handle. You know, we just don't think you're ready for it." And so I said, "Okay, 
I'll just leave and open my own store. Because <laughs> oh, apparently I can't handle that job, but I will just run my own store mm-hmm. and run my own business from the ground and build it from the ground up, which and I did. And here we are, almost six years, almost six years going. Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so I'm not mad at GameStop necessarily, but I'm disappointed that they're causing so much pressure that it makes their employees do this. Now, I'll be the first to admit the employees that do this are not typically your best employees. And I mean that in the sense that they're doing this because they think they have no other way to be successful. Sure. So now you could argue they're not given the tools to be successful. They probably don't have a district manager that's trying very hard to train them properly. Oh, or I could argue, right. I mean, I could, I could tell you all day about the horrible stuff about how they don't give you enough payroll to train your employees properly. Managers used to be salaried so that they would give you no payroll, but since you were salaried, you'd work 60 hours a week just so that they could cut payroll and save money. I mean, like, that that was a regular occurrence, and it was it was That's awful. So, like, it was I, very abusive as far as the rules around salaried employees go. I mean, how much money does GameStop make? A lot. They and make it, a lot. It just, you have to wonder if they actually treated their employees well and, you know, either paid them more or gave them more tools for training and all that kind of stuff. Right. If they If they did that... Yeah, maybe they'll be a little less profitable in terms of the bottom line, but how much happier their employees would be where they don't feel like they're stuck in a dead-end job or a job where they feel like their soul is getting sucked out. Yeah, well, and, and, and GameStop, like when I worked there, and again, this isn't reflective on the company, but this was my upper management. This was my middle management. Like they would treat you like you better realize how good you've got it. Because there's not much else out there that's better than this. And you believe that because you're working in video games. And you're like, man, like, no one else. Like, all my friends, they work at, like, McDonald's. Or they work mm-hmm. at cops. And, like, they, they don't get to work with video games like I do. And so you start to, you know, you start to believe that there's nothing else out there better. It's a hostage situation. They're all Stockholm it, Syndrome. I, that's not that far off. Because when you look at it, everybody who was ever left there who I've talked to. Yeah. And I have many friends that still work there. many friends that used to and have now since left. They're all happy that they left. Yeah. There's not a single person that regrets it. Not one. Mm-hmm. Out of all the people I know that used to work there, that moved on to other things, even that moved on to other things that were not that great, like we were talking about Brunage earlier. Yeah. Like John, he started doing like door-to-door sales of like Time Warner Cable. That's a tough job. It's a tough gig. He busted his butt at it. He still liked it better than GameStop. <laughs> like it's crazy. So, um, but anyway, so th- the whole point of the Kotaku story was that they thought it was a, co- a corporate-wide, like company-wide thing. I don't believe that to be true. Sure. Um, but I do believe that this sort of stuff happens all the time. I mean, I was hearing a story from some local managers here about another local manager in the district, so from one of the stores a couple hours away, mm-hmm. that they um, one of the things that GameStop's really pushing right now is something called a GPG. It's called a game, I think it's called gameplay guarantee. Okay. And it's basically a warranty for your discs. So you pay three bucks on your disc. Okay. And then if you break it within a year, you can bring it back and get a replacement. Okay. That's it. So just selling warranties on games, right? Okay. Whatever. Right. I remember when, when we were there, they called them GPGs, and I never sold them. Like, to me, it was just, I. they kept like, oh, you know, do it, do it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And I never did it. Okay. Um, so there was one manager I've heard that what he does, he just tacks it right on the transaction. So, so he'll just he'll just put it on the transaction. And then someone, like, because they, it's like, so normally a $60 game is like 63 after tax. It'll be like 66 And when the, so like, he, what he'll do is he'll be like, oh, and hey, just so you know, I threw on that um guarantee for you. So that way, if that game breaks in a year, you get a whole year replacement instead. So by that time, the person's already paid or whatever, and they're just probably like, okay, I guess. You know, I like would have been like, no. Super shady. Now, a lot of people don't want to 
be confrontational, so they'll allow that sort of stuff. But like me, I'd be like, no, actually return that. I don't want that crap, and don't try to auto sell me that again. Right. That would actually turn me into a never again customer. The guy yeah. would just never again at go back at least at that there. store for um, sure. But it was funny because it's funny you say that because I was tweeting out, I was tweeting this out, these these parts of the story, basically the same thing I'm telling you guys now. I was tweeting it out last week, um, and uh, like. I got more likes and retweets and stuff on those than I've ever had on anything else because people really related to that. And I wasn't just spouting some nonsense. Like, you know, and one of the things I said was people shopped at my GameStop store because of me and my staff. Mm -hmm. They didn't shop there because of the GameStop corporate policies. Right. So that's why eventually I was thinking to myself, like, what am I doing? Like, why, why would I keep working for them to make more money when the only reason they're making money that store is because of me well sure it's not like they're paying me to just uphold the store and then we're all making money together like i'm the only reason that place is making money at this point and i had a great staff um i get to take credit for them because i hired them and trained them but they were great and uh so us together were working really hard so that some corporation some stockholder made extra money um and so you know that's that's why i ended up leaving and I've never been happier, obviously. It was the best decision I could have made, and, and I'm very happy about that. Um, but this story was really interesting because it it actually, once this story broke, the I want to say he's the CEO the of GameStop. It's Tony Bartell. And he actually sent a memo to stores after this article broke. That's how big this was. Wow. So, like, the CEO of the company to be like, oh, hey, hey, everybody at GameStop, look, let's... You know, we obviously, we don't agree with this sort of thing. You shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. We all know we take good care of our customers. I'm so proud of you for taking good care of our customers. It, it just seemed really, mm. I didn't like it because it basically didn't, he didn't take any blame no. for that amount of pressure he puts on people. Um, and, and, you know, and it just, it just sucks because like another one of the Kotaku articles was, you know, basically talking about how there's GameStop employees who are scared for their jobs. So, for instance, here's one guy. So he goes, your source was absolutely right when they talked about lying to guests. None of us like to do it, but we're all scared for our jobs. I worked two jobs myself until I became an assistant store manager just because I didn't get paid enough to support my family. And then shortly after I received my promotion and quit my other job, they roll out the circle of life and effectively tell us we're used car salesmen now, a term which leadership previously used as a negative to describe attempting to sell a guest something they don't want or need. I don't want this to sound like a sob story, but my situation is the norm. I have employees who work at GameStop full-time, and every time they sell a new console or a day like January 24th rolls around where you have multiple new titles releasing at the same time, they all get extremely nervous about whether or not they're going to hit their numbers. The worst part is the fact that all of my staff wants to do right by the guests. And we all try to do our... Oops, sorry, I lost it here. Um, we try to do right by the guests... And I I scrolled through, guys. I'm sorry about that. Um, They want to do right by the guests, and we all try to do that as much as possible, but when we're faced with either losing our jobs or selling a product that the guest doesn't want, nine times out of ten, we'll sell something that the other, other than what the guest wants. Mm. Um, That's really, that's really sad to me. That is really sad. Because I, I know there's a lot of GameStop hate out there, and some of it's totally valid, but there's other... Like, you don't want to see a company like that go away. They're, like, the biggest retailer of video games around. We right. want their... We, we want them to be successful. We want the people working there to get paid well and have jobs. Like, we don't want a company to go out of business that employs twenty to 50,000 people. Right. I mean, like, that does, that's bad. You know, we're not jerks. But when you see stuff like this... And here's what's funny about this, Jen. This hasn't changed. This is how it was in 2002. Mm-hmm. This is how it was in 2004, 2006. Like when I was working there, this is how it was. I was fine because 
I had a great staff and I loved the competition. So I rose to that challenge. Mm -hmm. I loved it. But I would probably say I was the one maybe of two or three managers in the entire district that felt that way. Out of the other 16 to 20 managers, they didn't care. Well, when you think about, like, like when you think about stores, like, why are you all competing against each other? Because, to me, it, like, video games are supposed to be competitive. Not video, the same video game store chain. Yeah. Why are they, com- like, to me, it just, like, why? Why would you pit stores against each other and create that high-stress environment? Games are supposed to be fun it's it's a corporate strategy a lot of companies do do that like they they track their stores and then they they basically through tracking and through that's how they weed out their good or bad employees to them Mm. that's that's their metric so what they do is they can track how many reserves and subscriptions you get but they can't track how nice you were to a little kid who came in looking for a game with his mom you know what i mean so unfortunately that's that's what they that's what they focus their business around to ensure that's how they Equate if your employees are good or bad. It's based you, solely on numbers. But it could be the location. The location oh, absolutely. could be bad. Like the store in De Pere was a terrible location. Mm-hmm. In my and, opinion. And, and that store, I would argue, had really good service. Um, people who come in and talk to me about it today will still say, oh, it was really nice. I wonder why they closed. And, you know, it had nothing to do with that. You're right. The um, You know, like they had good service, but I don't know. It, it's, it's, it was it, a weird, it was a weird location. Not a lot of people drove past it mm-hmm. and like you said I mean the the customer service there I mean was great because I remember I, like I didn't really shop at very many game stops because for me I I mean I didn't purchase a lot of video games when I was in mm-hmm. like high school or college or even after college but when I did go I went to something like GameStop either at the mall or at the De Pere one sure and then a handful of times there, but it was all like, oh, I'm really close to this one. I'll just go to this yeah. one. Well, and then, and like, I know a GameStop manager currently is a good friend of mine who's still a manager. He hasn't gotten a raise in two years, and he's probably not going to get a raise this year. Which is so dumb. It's like, how much money I, that corporation makes? They can't give their, like, a cost of living adjustment, in yeah, fact. Yeah, it's, it's really, str- and, and what they do, though, is they pay, they, they pass the blame. So they say, well, if you hit your projections of what we project you're going to do in sales based off your last year's sales, you get a raise. Well, you didn't hit your projections. That's not our fault. You didn't hit your projections. And yeah, but what if you do? Well, if you do hit your projections, you do get a raise. Oh, but that wow. raise is a percentage based off the percentage you increased. So now here's the messed up part about that. And then I'll move on because I'm sure everyone's stopped listening by now. But so when a new store opens mm-hmm. in, a, in an area that's got no other stores, it usually kills it. Sure. So I, as much as I was very happy with my own performance and I was a very good manager, the store on Mason Street was, like, ripe for the picking. It was a great area. There were a ton of people out there. It used to be an EB Games. Mm-hmm. And then when GameStop bought out EB, they switched over to a GameStop. And then I went in there and, unfortunately, had to remove a lot of the staff and then put in my staff. So we did that. But that store was in the perfect position. It had really low sales for a couple of years when it was an EB Games. So I came in, put a good staff in there that was oh. fun to talk to. And, and don't get me wrong, that store would have done better sales no matter what because of my staff being in there. But it also had potential for it. It mm-hmm. was a high trade store, so a lot of people sold stuff to us. The more people that sell you stuff means you have better good stuff to sell, mm-hmm. right? Part of that cycle of life. And then the more that stuff, the good stuff you sell, you have more chance to get people to buy the subscription card because everyone's buying you stuff, right? right? Yeah. And so you get all these things kind of churning for you, and certain stores have that. Now, you look at the store like Bay Park Mall. People don't like to take trades to a mall because they have to... 
take a bag but, of stuff yeah, into gotta the mall. Yeah, cart it all the way across, and it's in the middle of the, the they, mall. They don't get trades the same way. Like, it's a different type of system, you know, um, and it's a different type of environment there. So how can that mall be compared to another store that are totally different, different right. areas, different yeah. customer bases even? So, you know, it's, it's this whole thing, and it's what they've chosen as their method. It's part of the reason I left. I think it's the reason why a lot of people leave, and yeah, you know, it's it's... People ask me all the time, like, if they should get a job there. And, and I always say, this is what I'll end with. They always say, I always say, it's a great place to work while you figure out what you really want to do with life. Mm. If you want to be a lifer there, you can. There's okay. nothing wrong with it. I, I have friends that are still managers there, and they might work there for the next 20 years, and they'll be they'll be content. Sure. You know, they can deal with the stress. Although, I'll be honest, some of those friends, I, I, I love them to death, but I see them, and they, I feel like... You're dead like inside. They're, they're, like they're 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 fading, you know. Like it, it's really it is sad and it sucks because these are people who have responsibilities and families and they have lives to take care of, and so they can't just quit a job because they don't like it. Sure. And, and 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 like I said earlier, GameStop has a way of, or I should say, the middle management, upper management. It's not the corporate that does this, but they have a way of making you feel like there's nothing else out there. Like like all oh, times are tough and you're gonna throw away this job for something else. Oh, you're crazy. It can't be all bad though. It's not, and that's and that's what I tell people. Um, I learned a lot at my time with GameStop that allowed me to make my store the way it is. Mm -hmm. So I'm very thankful for that. And and as a company, they're a very smart company with their money. They don't make bad investments. They're always putting money in the bank. Their mm -hmm. stock sadly doesn't really move because every year someone comes out with a thing saying video games consoles are dead. Oh, De sure. Consoles are dead. The used game market's dead. And and so like every year that article comes out and their stock plummets, slowly builds back up to where it was, and then it plummets again the next time someone has like a video games had the lowest year in 20 years video games are dead and it's like Aww. oh jesus they've been you know? probably been saying that since the nintendo entertainment they've been saying came it out. for a very long time <laughs> um but yeah so people you know and so so i don't have a lot of negative things to say about my time at gamestop because it did teach me a lot and i appreciate that but i was in a good store and i was a heart i was a good manager and I know there's a lot of employees out there that either weren't trained properly or don't have the people above them to help them when sure. they need it. And um, I'll be honest, when I started, I didn't either. But I had good managers around me, and then we kind of overcame our inept managers above us. And, and to which we had many. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we overcame that. So, um, But, you know, that was it. You know, long story short, like, this obviously was a big deal. And since I had so much background in GameStop, I wanted to share it with you guys because I thought you might find it interesting, too, just kind of seeing it from the inside. And, uh, you know, just getting an idea of what actually is happening. Because you read these articles and you think, oh, my God, like, that's the worst company in yeah. the world. Well, you know me. I'm all for calling people out. But we got to just, we got if we're angry about something, we have to direct it in the proper way. You know, that that's a big thing I'll talk about. I'm not big on hypocrisy. I can't stand it. And, I, and you have to direct, you know, be mad at who's the proper person to be mad at when something goes wrong. Yeah. And in this instance, I would be mad at that store. And even maybe that store's district manager for not coming right out and saying, look, you know, or, or putting so much pressure on them that they think they have to cheat to not lose their job. I mean, it's it's like when, you know, someone's going to be starving and they steal a loaf of bread so their family doesn't starve. Very I mean, Jean Valjean. You know, it just, it just you know, it and, and, and their corporate environment leads to that level of stress. And that's mm -hmm. what I do tell people. I say, it's very high stress, low pay. Yeah. So at first you think, well, why would you take a high stress job with low pay? You can find <laughs> a high stress job with high pay. Because people love video games. Because people love video games. And there's a big misconception about what we actually do. You know, we joke around about that, but people think that, like, I'll be I'll be testing controllers. So, right, so I'm playing, like, the original Mario Brothers on an NES, and I'm, I got, like, 20 controllers at the counter. I'm testing and make sure they work good. Someone will come and be like, oh, it must be nice playing games all day. I'm like, <laughs> 
Um, quality. And sometimes, and sometimes people will come in and I'm cleaning something. Like I've got a toothbrush and I'm scrubbing away in <laughs> an original Xbox, all those stupid vents on the side, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is this I've is just. Those. Uh, it's yes, you have. I'm like, this is just. Oh, I'm gonna kill somebody. And then they'll be like, oh man, sitting down on the job. And I'm like. I'm like what? I'm like I got I got a toothbrush in my hand, yeah. dude, and it's brown, mm-hmm. and I'm scrubbing this Xbox. Yep. Oh, whatever. I've but anyway, many systems for you. Yes, you have, because you're such a sweetheart. Aww. But anyway, guys, that's our show. That's it. So we went a little long today. We were trying to stick it to an hour, but um, the GameStop one had me fired up, so I knew we'd go far with that. And again, if you guys are still listening, I really do appreciate um you putting up with our bit of a hiatus. We really were trying to figure it out, and we we wanted to make sure because we, we love doing it. But it is obviously not our first priority. So we have other things happening, and sometimes this gets pushed aside. But we are very dedicated to getting this done and um, and to wanting to do it because it's it's therapeutic and, and fun for us, and we hope yes. you guys enjoy it. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at GameTradeGreg. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been tweeting out a little bit lately. It's not all Madden football stuff now that the football season's over, so you can uh, <laughs> follow me with some other stuff. Um, and, of course, Jen. GameTalkJen. At GameTalkJen. And uh, you can always send us uh, messages through the Facebook page for Game Trade or the Game Talk Radio, or you can just email the Game Trade LLC at gmail.com with well, your Game questions. Gen at gmail.com. Or that one. And uh, and we'll answer questions on the air and stuff. So, uh, once again, appreciate you guys as always. Uh, thank you very much for listening and have a good day. Bye. Bye. Bye bye. bye. bye.